Good morning. Today's Sunday, July 16th, 2023, and this is 5 at 8 with your hosts, Linda Carlisle and Mark Overman. In this episode, we will talk about record heat waves around the world. The UK joining the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership. The ongoing conflict between Ukraine and Russia. The closure of Libyan oil fields. And the meeting between U.S. Special Envoy on Climate, John Kerry, and Chinese officials to discuss climate goals. Story number one. Record heat waves are forecasted around the world, highlighting the increasing threat of global warming. Italy is predicted to experience historic highs, with temperatures reaching 40 degrees Celsius in Rome and potentially 48 degrees Celsius in Sicily and Sardinia. France, Germany, Spain, and Poland are also facing searing temperatures. In Japan, eastern regions are expected to reach 38 to 39 degrees Celsius, while heavy rains have caused landslides and forced thousands to evacuate their homes. In India, monsoon rains have led to major flooding and landslides, with at least 90 people reported dead. The United States is also battling a powerful heat wave, particularly in Arizona, where residents face extreme temperatures. Climate change is increasing the frequency and severity of these heat waves, with low-income communities being disproportionately affected. Authorities are warning people to avoid outdoor activities and stay hydrated. According to Al Jazeera, these heat waves are a result of climate change. Do you see these heat records being topped left and right, Linda? It's like the world's thermostat is broken. The intense heat across the United States, Europe, and Japan is just a glimpse into the escalating threat of global warming. It's putting millions in harm's way. Rome's temperatures hitting a record 40 degrees Celsius is just mind-boggling, isn't it? Absolutely. This is not just a matter of breaking records, but a severe disruption of life as we know it. The historic highs in Italy, the closure of tourist attractions like the Acropolis in Athens, the wildfires in California, it paints a grim picture. And the most concerning part is that these are not isolated incidents, but interconnected consequences of climate change. And it's not only about the heat. Look at Japan, for instance. While parts of it are bracing for record heat, other areas are witnessing unprecedented rainfall causing landslides, leading to thousands of people having to evacuate their homes. It's like weather gone wild. And it's crucial to understand that these events disproportionately affect the most vulnerable among us. Low-income communities, especially those in heat-affected areas, are bearing the brunt of these extreme weather conditions. They often work in outdoor settings and lack access to cooling systems at home. This is not just an environmental crisis, but a social one as well. Couldn't agree more, Linda. We need to pay special attention to these communities, and this isn't our first rodeo with extreme weather conditions. We've had our share of historic heat waves and floods, but what's changing is the frequency, intensity, and the areas being affected. It's clear that we're dealing with a different beast here. Yes, Mark, the stakes are higher now, and scientists insist that human-induced global warming is behind this intensification. The dependence on fossil fuels is exacerbating the situation. We need to treat the cause, not just the symptoms. It's high time we reconsider our energy sources and make a decisive shift towards more sustainable alternatives. But that's easier said than done, isn't it? With our economy so heavily reliant on fossil fuels, it's a tough nut to crack. But as they say, where there's a will, there's a way. We need to take these climate signals seriously and act while there's still time. It's going to require collective effort from governments, businesses, and individuals alike. The cost of inaction is far too high. 
Let's hope these record-breaking heat waves serve as a wake-up call for the urgency of mitigating climate change. Story number two. The UK has agreed to join the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership, CPTPP, a trade pact between 11 nations in Asia and the Pacific, as reported by the BBC. The CPTPP, which includes countries such as Japan and Australia, represents a market of 500 million people and generates 13% of the world's income. While the short-term gains for the UK are expected to be marginal, the agreement provides greater access to markets and the elimination or reduction of import charges. The UK is the first non-founding country to join the CPTPP, and its membership could potentially yield significant rewards in the future if other countries, such as China and the US, join the club. However, concerns have been raised about environmental and animal welfare standards, as well as potential challenges from multinational companies. The treaty will undergo scrutiny and ratification before coming into force. This is a game-changer, Linda. The UK joining the CPTPP, or Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership, is, in my opinion, a strategic move. They're the first non-founding country to join, making them the second biggest economy in the pact after Japan. While the short-term gains might be marginal, it's the long-term potential that's key. Fast-growing countries like Vietnam are part of this pact, and that could mean a lot in the future. The trade agreement could give a significant boost to the UK's global standing post-Brexit, but it's also worth noting that the CPTPP isn't just about trade, it's also about investment. The agreement provisions that investors from CPTPP countries get the same treatment as domestic firms when they invest in projects in other member states. In 2017, CPTPP nations accounted for about pound one in every pound 12 of foreign investment in the UK and vice versa. That's a significant chunk of cash flowing both ways. Right, Linda. And that's not all. I think the key perk is the greater access to each other's markets, with a pledge to eliminate or reduce 95% of import charges or tariffs. This could potentially help UK producers of machinery and medicines, their most valuable exports to these nations, by reducing costs and allowing them to expand their supply chains across the constituent countries. That's a big win for British businesses. But it's also important to remember that it's not all about economics. There are environmental and social considerations to take into account. For instance, as part of the agreement, the UK will lower tariffs on imports of Malaysian palm oil, which has been linked to deforestation. There are also concerns about the potential impact on animal welfare standards. Balancing economic growth with environmental and social responsibilities will be a challenge. Well said. It's a complex issue and we'll have to see how the UK navigates it. But I think it's important to note that the CPTPP is neither a single market nor a customs union. Countries are not required to have identical regulations and standards, and they can strike their own trade deals with others. So there is some room for maneuvering. The UK could use this opportunity to set a benchmark for future trade agreements with a focus on sustainable and ethical practices. That's a valid point, Mark. The future of this agreement will also be shaped by who else decides to join. If countries like China or the US, who are currently not part of the pact, decide to join, that could significantly change the dynamics. It's definitely something to keep an eye on. The CPTPP could potentially become a major force in global trade, and the UK's decision to join now might just put them ahead of the curve. It will be interesting to see how this unfolds. Story number three. 
According to The Guardian, Ukraine and Russia have accused each other of shelling civilians in separate incidents. Ukraine claims that Russian forces bombed a village using multiple rocket launchers, while Moscow-backed officials allege that Kiev's forces shelled a school. Both sides deny targeting civilians. Russia has issued criminal charges against seven people in connection with an alleged Ukrainian-backed plot to kill two prominent Russian journalists. South Korea's president has pledged to increase humanitarian and non-lethal military assistance to Ukraine. Vladimir Putin has stated that the main objective of the deal allowing Ukrainian grain exports to resume was not achieved. Ukraine has criticized Bulgaria's president over his remarks blaming Kiev for the ongoing war and stating that supplying arms to Ukraine prolongs the conflict. Ukrainians have reacted with bemusement to UK Defense Secretary Ben Wallace's comments, suggesting that the country should be more grateful for the help it is receiving from the UK and other allies. A convoy carrying fighters from the Wagner Private Army has been spotted entering Belarus from Russia, as reported by The Guardian. We'll tell you what, Linda, this ongoing Russia-Ukraine conflict is really making waves in the international community, isn't it? You've got nations like South Korea increasing their humanitarian aid to Ukraine and even providing non-lethal military assistance. It's a clear example of how third-party involvement can really spice up the dynamics of international disputes. And it's not the first time we've seen something like this. It's interesting you bring up the concept of proxy wars because that's exactly what it reminds me of, too. But, you know, what really strikes me is how the distribution of humanitarian aid, as noble as it is, can sometimes be tied with political agendas. It's not just about helping, it's also about taking a stance. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head, Linda. It's a real-life chess game out there. But let's not forget about this alleged plot to kill Russian journalists. If it's true, it's a stark reminder that freedom of speech can be a casualty in these conflicts. And that's a damn shame. It is, Mark. And it's not just about the freedom of speech, it's also about perceptions. Take, for instance, the Bulgarian president's comments. They've stirred up quite a controversy, haven't they? It's a testament to the fact that this conflict has serious implications on the shared responsibilities within Europe. Right, right. I mean, who knew gratitude in international politics could be such a hot topic, eh? The reactions to the UK's defense secretary's comments have really put a spotlight on that. But, you know, we can't overlook that these are serious times. Diplomacy during conflicts is always going to be a tricky business. Yes, Mark, it's a delicate balancing act, and we're seeing it play out in real time. It's an unfortunate situation, but one that offers some valuable insights on the complexities of international relations and global security. Story number four. According to Al Jazeera, the closure of three Libyan oil fields in protest over the kidnapping of former finance minister Faraj Boumatari could lead to a declaration of force majeure, as reported by the country's oil ministry. The closures could have severe consequences for Libya's oil sector and undermine efforts to stabilize crude production. The Sharara field, one of the country's largest production areas, is among the fields that have been shut. The incident highlights the ongoing political strife in Libya, which has been divided between two rival governments since 2011. The United Nations and the House of Representatives have called for an end to the closures and the safe release of Bumatari, as stated by Al Jazeera. Tell ya, Linda, this situation in Libya is concerning. But it's not surprising. We've seen the same scenario play out in other oil-rich nations. Political instability leads to shutdowns in oil production, which in turn can have a ripple effect on the global economy. It's a tough predicament, 
but it's a harsh reality of a free market system. Mark, while I can see your point, I think it's essential to consider the human aspect here. The kidnapping of Faraj Boumatari is not a minor event. It's an indication of the deep-seated political problems in Libya. Shutting down of oil fields is a form of protest, a cry for help, if you will, from the people of the region who are desperate for stability. Sure, Linda, I don't mean to downplay the severity of the kidnapping incident. It's a horrid situation. However, we need to look at the bigger picture here. The constant disruptions in oil production can have far-reaching consequences beyond Libya's borders. It's not just about Libya's economy, it's about global energy security. Mark, I understand your perspective, but it's not just about energy security, it's about human security. Libya has been in a state of civil conflict since 2011, and these disruptions in oil production are part of a larger socio-political issue. We can't just view this through the lens of capitalism and free markets. Okay, Linda, I see your point. It's a complex issue, no doubt. But we can't ignore the fact that oil is a globally sought-after resource. The instability in Libya is affecting this crucial sector. And it's not just Libya's problem. It's a global concern. That's the harsh truth. Mark, I agree that it's a global concern, but the solution must start from within Libya. International organizations like the United Nations can play a pivotal role in facilitating dialogue and resolving conflicts. But ultimately, the Libyan people and their leaders must come together to address these issues and work towards building a stable and prosperous nation. Story number five. U.S. Special Envoy on Climate, John Kerry, has arrived in Beijing to meet with Chinese officials and discuss climate goals, as reported by the BBC. The meeting between the world's two largest superpowers and polluters is seen as a conversation starter and an opportunity to address their common challenges of transitioning to clean energy and reducing carbon emissions. Both countries have made investments in renewable energy, but they are also the largest carbon emitters. China has recently prioritized its energy security and increased its coal power output, while the U.S. has passed legislation supporting clean energy but also approved a major oil and gas drilling project. Analysts suggest that Kerry may try to persuade China to accelerate its carbon neutrality goals, while China may seek the removal of U.S. tariffs on Chinese solar panels and object to proposed U.S. taxes on carbon-emitting steel and aluminum. Climate issues could also be used as bargaining chips in wider trade and political negotiations. Experts emphasize the importance of setting aside rivalry to address the global climate crisis. Where do we even start with this one, Linda? It's like walking a tightrope for these countries, trying to balance economic growth while also committing to environmental sustainability. It's clear as day that both the U.S. and China, the world's largest carbon emitters, are struggling with this juggling act. It's quite a paradox, isn't it? Despite being the biggest investors in renewable energy, we're not seeing the emissions fall as we'd like. And the moves made by both governments, they're contradictory to say the least. You've got China who was keen on reducing its reliance on coal, then hit by blackouts, and now they're moving back to coal power for energy security. It's like two steps forward, one step back. Yes, and let's not forget about the U.S. We've just passed legislation that puts billions into clean energy, yet approved one of the largest oil and gas drilling projects in recent years in Alaska. It's... it's just baffling. It's like they're wrestling with an invisible opponent, Linda. But at the end of the day... It's not about which country is doing better or worse. This is a global crisis that needs global solutions. And that means working together, not apart. 
Climate change doesn't understand borders or nationalities. It affects us all. And this is where climate diplomacy comes into play. The two countries need to set aside their differences and work together, just like they did at the 2021 COP meeting. Easier said than done, Linda, considering the current state of their relationship. But you're right. They've got to find a way to work this out. And maybe this visit by John Kerry will be a step in the right direction. As they say, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. That's very true. Let's hope this journey leads to a greener and more sustainable world for all of us. That's it for this morning. Have a great day and see you all tomorrow. Five at Eight is researched, written, and performed by artificial intelligence. For more information, visit botcaster.ai.